tradition. Are there good traditions? Can there be bad traditions? All right. It would have been a bad tradition if I tried to sing the song for you. We don't want to hear that, so I'm glad we actually at least had something else that we could play. Traditions. One of the things that I find very interesting about traditions is that quite often what we were raised in, we try to emulate once we get a little bit older. Give you an example. There were, um, as, as students go through high school years, maybe they've been in church, and then they hit college. A lot of times, college years, they start saying, you know what, I need to explore other faiths. I need to explore other spirituality. Maybe I don't believe what my parents have taught me, so they begin to even walk away from the faith. And then they get married, and after getting married, then they usually start having a few kids. And after the kids start coming along, there's this question. Well, maybe we need to go to church. Maybe we need to think about church. And so they begin to think about, well, I at least want my kids to know about God. I at least want my kids to know a little bit about church. And so they start thinking about this tradition of bringing their kids back to church. And one of the things that we push really hard here at this church is to make sure that we have a great children's program, a great student ministry, because quite often parents begin to say, I need to go back to church. And one of the reasons they go to a church is because of their kids. And if the kids have a good experience, then the parents will come back. And so we want to make sure we're working through that. Now, one of the traditions that uh, I found uh, um, quite humorous is that we, we do want to pass on our, our Christian fair, uh, heritage, don't we? We want to pass it on. And, and this, there was a lady who was wanting to pass on her heritage of praying. And she wanted to teach her little girl about prayer and what that meant. And so little Susie, she's four years old and she teaches her kid about prayer. And if you've ever been around a three-year-old or a four-year-old as they begin to learn to pray, you know their prayers get really long quick, right? They start praying for, thank you for the sun, thank you for the stars, thank you for my little pet pony or whatever they have. And, you know, they just start listing out all kinds of things. So she's starting to get pretty good at this prayer thing. And so the mom had some friends over and she, she wanted to kind of show off little Susie's prayer. And so you and I know that that's probably not necessarily a really good idea because you never know what a kid's going to say. But she tells, the, tells her daughter, Susie, I would love for you to pray for us. And she, the, the little girl's like, well, mom, I don't know what to say. Susie, it's okay. Just pray. Mom, I don't really want to. Susie, just pray like you've heard mama pray. You know that's really bad, right? That's just a setup. You already know that that's not gonna be good. So she starts praying. The little girl bows her head. She starts praying and she says, oh Lord, why did I invite these people over today? Oops. We can pass on good traditions. We can pass on bad traditions. Matthew chapter 14, chapter 15 is where we're going to be going today. If you have your Bibles, please turn over there. If you don't have your Bibles, we're going to be putting it up on the screen so you can follow along with us in just a few moments. We're in a series called Ministry Struggles. And we're talking about the struggles of ministry. When you set out to say, hey, God, I'm ready to serve you. I want to get involved. And maybe you've served for a long time. Maybe it's just been a short period of time. But you're going to find that there are going to be problems. And what we began to realize is in the first of the series is that there's the reality of loss. When you sign up and say, Jesus, I'm ready to serve. I'm ready to get involved. I'm ready to put my, my gifts and my talents into action. There's going to be sometimes even a, a, there's a reality of loss. There will be a loss. There can be loss. And ministry doesn't stop just because there's a loss. Then we talked about the next week, we talked about waiting. That ministry doesn't wait for a convenient time for you that there are gonna be opportunities where you have to serve whether you want to or not, whether you wanna get up or not. Like even this morning, cowboys are playing at noon, so we need the preacher to hurry up and be finished. Should we go to church, should we not? And I was sitting there this morning going, God, it's a great day to sleep in. Have you ever had those thoughts? Yes, a preacher can have those thoughts. 
And you, and you begin to wonder, wait a minute. And there's a ministry doesn't wait for a convenient time for you. You still have to minister. Last week, we talked regarding storms and how that each one of us are gonna be faced with storms. And when storms come into our lives, how do we handle those? Because in ministry, storms are still coming. And let's just be real honest. Sometimes just because you decided to actually follow God, because you actually said, God, I will follow you wherever you want me to go, you might enter storms just because you said yes to God. And storms are coming. And so today what we're gonna be talking about is traditions. Traditions, how we actually work through ministry and traditions within ministry. Matthew chapter 15, you have your Bibles. Would you please stand for the reading of God's word? Matthew chapter 15. Verse one, here's what the Bible says. Then the Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? Isn't that interesting? Why do you do this? We're gonna stop right there. I'm gonna read a lot of passages today, a lot of verses, and we're gonna walk through it, but I wanna stop right there. Why do your disciples break the tradition, did it say of the Bible? No, but it said the elders. Why do you break the tradition of the church in our context today? Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your blessings. God, we thank you for how that you've moved and how you work. We are so amazed at the opportunity that you have given us as believers together with each other to pause, to stop in the middle of our weeks, at the beginning of our week, to be able to say thank you for what you have done. Jesus, we thank you for the sacrifice of you dying on the cross to pay for our sins. Thank you for creating a new heart in us. And God, today, here's what I pray. I pray that you'd give us the ears to hear. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would have freedom in this place. That God, today, as we hear, and maybe we're even gonna have this pushback moment where we don't like what we're hearing. God, I pray that you'd give us the courage to push through that. Give us the courage to apply your word to our lives today so that we walk out of here a different people. We love you and thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. All right. So here's what we need to do. In order to to back up and get into what we're talking about here, I need you to go back into chapter 14. We left last week in verse 33, so I want to pick up verse 34 just to make sure we understand what's happening. In your your bulletins today, you will also find an outline, and that way you can follow along and know where we're at. I'm going to make a few points today, and you can fill in those blanks, and we'll make sure that those are up on the board in just a moment, all right? So let's go to chapter 14 and verse 34. Last week, we left the disciples in the middle of the the sea. We saw the storm. Jesus has just calmed the storm. He just walked on the water. Peter has walked on the water, and the storm has now been calmed. And now the storm is over. Now they're going to arrive at their destination in verse 34. It says, when they crossed over, they came to the land at Gennesaret. This is a land, the historian Josephus tells us that it was a land that was plush and green. It was an agricultural area, so there's very few people, very um, unpopulated area in which Jesus and his disciples are now finally going to get that rest that they needed, the relaxation that they needed. They were going to get away and it was going to be a moment where whew, they can just unwind and just oh, have a rest. And here's what happens. The crowds began to look around and the crowds began to hear, hey, that Jesus, the guy who fed those 20,000, he's here, he's in our area. And so they began to crowd around Jesus and they began to push and shove. And it's been a couple of days now. 
And they began to ask Jesus, Jesus, would you heal us? Jesus, would you heal us? Jesus, and they began to bring all the sick and they began to press against Jesus. And even at a point, they don't even want to necessarily ask Jesus. The Bible tells us right here that they just want to touch the hem of his garment because if they just touched him, they just expected to be healed and there's no really even asking. So here's your first point. When you're ministering to people, when you're ministering to people, you can expect people, you can expect people to actually just want things from you. Have you ever served somebody and you knew without a doubt they didn't care about you? They didn't like you. All they wanted was what you could give them. And that's exactly what's going on here. Jesus shows up. He's needing rest. He's needing relaxation. He's needing just a period of just unwinding. And the crowds began to push. They're not ready to call him the Messiah. They don't want to trust him. They do not believe the truth that he's been teaching All they're really wanting to do is use Jesus. Let's be real honest. There could even be people in this room today, especially here in America, where we like to wed the gospel with the American dream, saying, hey, if you come to church, if you trust Jesus, you're gonna get all your dreams. They're gonna come true. It's almost like that Disney World experience, isn't it? Magic happens here. You come get Jesus, boom, things are just gonna work out in your life. And there are many times that's how we present the gospel and how we even talk about Jesus. Come to Jesus, he's gonna make all your needs. He's just gonna, all your problems are just gonna disappear. And here we are, Jesus is is ministering to people and they're coming and they're pressing and they're pushing it, saying, Jesus, we want, we want, we want, 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 want. And it's like a little baby, right? Just need, need, need. And Jesus does something kind of abnormal. Does he push them away? Does he say, You're not coming with the right motives. Get out of here. Does he say that? What does he do? Do you see it? He begins to serve and minister. Here's why this is so important to us, especially this week. Isn't it amazing how God, when when you lay out the messages, and I find this fascinating quite often, is how that God puts the messages on the right day for us before things happen or even while things are happening. I, I just find that fascinating. This week we have something unique happening in our church life. We have our family fest in which there are gonna be 1,500 kids gonna be registered at least is kind of what we've been running through. And then that means not including grandparents and parents and all the everybody else that shows up. There's gonna be a lot of people out here on our property. Now that I've said that, maybe it might drop. I don't know. Maybe that's my pessimism. I don't know. But here we are. We we don't know what's gonna happen this week, but here's what I do know. There's gonna be a group of people who will come and show up on Thursday. Listen, you ready? And they really don't care anything about us as a church. Did you hear that? They really don't even care what we do as Christians. And they might even walk away saying, I really don't like those people, but they sure to put on a good show. They have a good, here's what I want to make sure we understand, ready? Just because people might not ever come in to this church through our family fest, we still serve. Here's why we serve, you ready? to demonstrate that God has done a work in our lives and we want others to know what God has done in our lives. So this week, if you see some little kid who comes with the wrong outfit, heaven forbid, and it's too scary for you, instead of being mad and being mean, what we're gonna do is we're gonna be gracious, we're gonna get a handful of more candy and we're gonna handle more candy and we're gonna serve. Why? Not because they're mean, not because They're coming with the right motives, but simply because we as a church are going to serve people regardless of what the outcome is. 
Heath, what if, what if we do this and nobody comes for the next year? Okay, great. We're still going to serve. It's interesting how often I get asked that question. Well, Heath, why don't we just change the day and let's do it a different day? I hear you. It would be a lot easier, wouldn't it? We could control the day which we want to do it. But one of the reasons we do it on Halloween is so that way the community who's out in full force can actually see an event that we put on and we do well with it. We want them to know that as Christians, we don't feel like we need to remove ourselves from the world, but we actually want to be in the world and doing something for this area. When you minister, you can expect that people are going to try to abuse you and use you and just get something out of you. But it doesn't mean you stop ministering. And then you also can expect, you ready? Now you get into chapter 15. Look what it says here in chapter 15. Then the Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem. The reason I know that it's been at least a couple of days, they hear that Jesus has been ministering here in Gennesaret, then they have to travel over from Jerusalem. So there's been at least a few days that Jesus has been in the area. So he's been a few days in the area, and he traveled, they travel over, and the Pharisees show up, and here's what it says. Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? When you're ministering to people, not only can you expect that they just want to come and just be helped because they have a need, but number two, part of this, the second part of this, is that you can expect that there are some people who just want to come, and they want to distract you, and they want to discredit you. Have you ever been around people like this? You're doing something really good. I mean, you're serving and you're pouring your heart into it. And man, you're, you're helping get things ready for vacation Bible school. And man, your room's all decorated and it looks fantastic. And then somebody walks in and says, you missed a spot. Or maybe, maybe you, you, you fix, I mean, you put it all this, you have these, one of these potluck dinners, right? And, and we're all excited about eating the different foods. And then all of a sudden, oh, you didn't make your, your peach pie? I, you know, man, that, I really like that. Why didn't you make that today? And then they just drive a dagger into your heart, right? Oh, we're having chicken? Uh, I like barbecue better. Barbecue beef. Chicken's for the birds. Ah, you know, they, just, they, just, they just throw stuff in there and they're just like, come on, seriously. And they just throw things in there and they hurt you and they just try to discredit. And that's exactly what, the Pharisees did. They came in, they look around, and they see all the good. They've heard all the great things that Jesus has been doing in the area. And what do they do instead? Instead of celebrating what Jesus is doing, they come in and discredit, and they try to tear down and say, you're doing it wrong. You're not serving the correct way. Have you ever heard that in church before? You're not serving the right way. If you would serve this way, it'd actually be better. And it just deflates you in ministry, doesn't it? Now watch what happens. So verse 2 And here's what they go on to say. There's a tradition of the elders. For they do not wash their hands when they eat. What is this talking about? Is it poor hygiene? Because if if it's poor hygiene, that's pretty bad, right? We teach our kids, wash your hands. If they sit down at the dinner table, wash your hands, please. Go wash your hands. If you haven't washed, wash your hands. This is a day and age where they're, they're fishermen. Wash your hands. You stink. This is a day and age in which there's, there's dirt all over. Everything they touch, they walk into town. Everything's dirty. So is Jesus talking, are these Pharisees talking about hygiene? No. There's something else going on, so let me explain what's happening. There's a tradition. It was not in the Bible. It's not part of the Bible. The tradition is simply this, that before you were, as a Jew, were coming to eat, yes, you've already washed your hands to get the dirt off, 
So the hygiene has already been taken care of, but what you would do is in order to, to get rid of all the unclean, uncleanliness, all the impurities, what you would do is you have this ceremony in which you would hold your hands up, they would pour the water over you, and it'd have to drip down your fingers, down your hand, and it has to drip off at your wrist. And they would just pour a little bit of water, so there was really no actual soap water. It's not a cleansing port. It's just a, a ceremony to demonstrate you're getting all the Gentile junk off of you. You're getting all the uncleanliness. And then they would turn their hands over, and after they turned their hands over, then they'd pour the water on the top of the hand, and it would run back down and run off the fingertips and drip off. And then now you're ceremonially clean, and now you can eat. So they're saying, you didn't follow the right tradition. You didn't wash your hands right. So how do you really expect us to follow you, Jesus? Isn't that petty? You see how petty that is? It's so petty, so small. And now they're trying to, trying to disprove Jesus. Now what happens is very interesting. Jesus says, okay, you wanna go there? Then you Pharisees, let's talk for just a minute. So let me make sure we understand our point. Number two, traditions. Traditions can easily become a higher priority than God's word. Look at verse three. Jesus answers and says, and why do you break the commandment of God? For the sake of your tradition. For God commands, honor your father and mother. Who reviles father and mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother, what you have gained from me is given to God. He need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. Here's what they've done. We know the Ten Commandments, right? The Ten Commandments, one of the Ten Commandments is that you are to honor your father and mother. That's clearly written in the Word of God. Everybody understands that's the Word of God. That's part of it. That's what you're supposed to do. But here's what the Pharisees would do. They believed that their written interpretation would actually become higher than the Word of God. And so what they would do is say this. As an adult, you were to honor your parents. So if your parents begin to get sick, you were to take care of them. As an adult, if your parents begin to wane in health, it's your job to take care of them, to bring and to provide for them. That's your job. You are to honor your parents. But if your parents come to you and they say, I need some help. Social Security hasn't really kicked in. Obamacare hasn't been what it should be. I don't, I don't know what the words are, right? But whatever that is, it, it, they, they it's get kicked in. And here's what they're asking. Son, daughter, could you help me? And you simply say, Mom, Dad, I love you. I would love to help you. But I've already committed this portion of money. This is what I would help you with. But this portion's already been dedicated to God. I'm sorry. Now, that's pretty harsh, isn't it? Who's gonna argue that, oh, I'm gonna give this gift to God so I can't help you? Who's gonna argue that? Nobody, right? But here's what they would do. They would say they can't help and honor their parents, and then they would come over here, and next week... Ah, uh -huh, there's a new speedboat. And they go out and use that same money and they go buy whatever they wanted. Does that make sense? And they felt like they were okay because the Pharisee law, the elders law, actually has given them permission to disobey the 10 commandments and actually do whatever they want. Does that make sense? So religiously, their church has just given them permission to do whatever they want. And Jesus says, do you really think that that's the way it's supposed to work? Now look what the word Jesus uses. Verse seven, do you see it? You hypocrites. Oh yeah, there's hypocrites in church. 
Oh, maybe that's some of the reasons why you don't even like to go to church. Or maybe that's a reason you've heard and you've asked your friends to come to church. Well, there's hypocrites at church. Guess what? There's hypocrites everywhere. Matter of fact, there's hypocrites at the Cowboys football game today. They only like them this time because the last couple games, the Cowboys have won. But they're not the true diehard fans when Romo can't play at all for the last few years. And then all of a sudden he's having a good year. Now they jump on the bandwagon, right? There's hypocrites everywhere. And now we look at what we're doing here in church. And Jesus actually says to the Pharisees, you're hypocrites. He looks across and let's be real honest. Can there be hypocrites even in here? Could there be a hypocrite even on this stage? That's pretty tough, isn't it? There could be. And Jesus says, you're a hypocrite. Now watch what he says. You're taking your traditions and you made them, you made them higher than the word of God. You voided the word of God. Now let's just talk real quick because this doesn't really happen today, does it? Where we have traditions and we actually put them higher than the word of God. So I'll just, just hang with me for just a second. I'm gonna sit down so that way you don't feel like I'm going on the attack. I, I love this church and I love people who are in leadership. So this is not a a vendetta, but let's just talk, all right? Let's just have an open dialogue. Here we go. Can there be hypocrites? Yes. And then he begins to lay out for us. He says, this is what it looks like. Your traditions are more important than the word of God. Let's just go into, let's go out of the Baptist world for just a second because that might soften it as we enter into this dangerous territory. The Roman Catholic Church, even today, maybe you've had some friends or maybe you've come out of the Roman Catholic Church. They're consi- they consistently say, don't read, your, don't read the Bible. You just need to read what the church fathers say, what the church tradition says. They, they make a big push. So if you're interacting with a Roman Catholic, here's what I would encourage you to do. Ready? Your biggest thing is not to fight against the Roman Catholic Church. Just get them to study the word of God. Get them reading God's word and you'll find that they'll, be, they'll, they'll begin to be amazed because they haven't been able to really read the word of God, work through the word of God. Now let's talk Protestants for just a second. That's us. Let's go into our realm. Tradition's more important than the word of God. What if we start talking about how that we enjoy maybe certain preachers and we'll listen to them, but we rarely, rarely read the Bible? Or maybe we're more interested in reading books about God than we're actually reading God's word. Does that make sense? We get to a point where we say, we just wanna read about God from other places, but we'd rather not hear it from God himself. Let's move even to the next few steps, you ready? Traditions. Charles Spurgeon, he actually said it this way. He said, what if, what if there were no church on Sunday morning at 11 a.m.? how many of you would still be a Christian? (laughs) That's pretty good. Start thinking about your church and start thinking about all the things that we do. We say, this is how church should be. We need to have three songs. We need to have a special. We need to have an offering during the special. We need to make sure there's a time to greet each other and then we can have a message and then that's how church is supposed to be. And we get all worked up if it's not the same way every time, right? What What if we started hitting, oh, we have to have, our church structure this way. We have to have three committees, four committees. And if we don't have committees, then we're not really a church. We're not a good Baptist church anyway. And you start playing it out. We have to have Sunday school. No, we have to have home groups. No, we have to have praise songs. No, we have to have hymns, traditions. 
we began to work through our traditions and here's what we began to say. And we get frustrated and mad that it's not played out the way we want and we put our traditions as high as the word of God. Does that make sense? Well, that doesn't really happen today, but it happens over and over and over again. Well, we want to wear certain things to church. We want you to either dress up or we want you to dress down. We want to be casual. And we start putting traditions higher than the word of God because really what we're coming in here to do is to worship God, to hear from God. Oh, wait, we really want the church. A church can't be decorated with all these flags. That's kind of weird. I mean, it's just too, does that make sense? Traditions. Now, let me show you some other things that began to happen here. So Jesus calls them hypocrites. Hypocrites, and here's what he says. Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain they do worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Here's your third point. Ministry busyness does not mean that you're right with God. Just because you're busy in ministry doesn't mean you're right with God. Let me say it a different way. Just because you know all the right things to say doesn't mean you're right with God. Let me say it a different way. Just because you can use great theological terms doesn't mean you're right with God. Just because you're busy and you're on, let's just say it, you're on the greeting team, you're in the parking lot, you're in the children's ministry, and you're also running the sound booth doesn't mean you're right with God. Let me say it another way. You ready? Just because you're up here singing a song and leading us in worship doesn't mean you're right with God. Just because I'm standing here and getting to teach doesn't mean I'm right with God. Does that make sense? I can say the right things and everybody else could be impressed with me. I can be involved in all these different ministries, but it doesn't mean anything if my heart is far from God. You could be a deacon for the last 50 years and not be right with God. And let me be, I, I love our deacons. I love, I love the people who are willing to give their time and donate their time to committees. I, I'm not against that. But here's what I am against. I'm against hypocrites. I'm against hypocrisy in my own life and I'm against hypocrisy in your life. I'm against hypocrisy in this church because God has not called us to be a people who give a good show. Does that make sense? He's, he's not called us to that, but here's what we get, especially in the Bible belt, especially in the Bible belt. We know how to say all the right things, man. We've seen all the flannel graph teachings of Sunday school. We can tell all the stories but just because you know the stories of the Bible doesn't mean your heart is close to God. So he begins to play it out. And verse 10, Jesus begins to, he calls the people to him. He says, hear and understand, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what goes out of his mouth. This defiles in verse 12. Then the disciples came to him and said, do you know that the Pharisees were offended? <gasps> They're upset, Jesus. You better watch out. They're offended with how you're talking. Stop talking this crazy talk. They're offended. They're upset that you're called them hypocrites. They're offended that you would step into their world. Why? Because there's a clash between the gospel and religious activities every time. 
there's always a clash. I read a story of um, um, President Roosevelt. Theodore Roosevelt, he had some people coming by his, his, his home out in uh, Oyster Bay. And he would have these campaigns come through and the different people, different uh, delegates, and they would come through. And one day he actually went out and he met the delegates and he took off his jacket. And he said, hey guys, I need, you to, I need to do some, some work out at the barn. Why don't you um, come out with me? We'll talk. And so he takes off his jacket, rolls up his sleeves and he gets out to the barn and he picks up the pitchfork. He picks up the pitchfork and he looks around and he doesn't see any hay. And he yells out, John, hey, John. John answers from the lot. He said, here I am. He says, John, where's all the hay? And John responds, I haven't had time to throw it back down after you threw it up with the other delegates. Hypocrisy. It's everywhere, isn't it? And here's where I want to push you. Jesus begins to lay out and he says that, Pharisees are now upset. The disciples came to Jesus. Jesus, you're teaching about something. You're, you just called them Pharisees. Hypocrites. These are the elite of the elite. Do you know why they're so offended? Because when you start talking and you start teaching and you start speaking against hypocrisy, the ones who get really offended are the ones who have used religion to gain power and authority. And oh yes, it happens even in churches where they began to become really good at persuading everyone, hey, look at me and how great I am. And the Pharisees had begun to climb the social corporate ladder of religion. And they used religion to actually gain power. And Jesus says, you're hypocrites because you're not even going after God, you're just going after power. And yes, it happens. Religious leaders gaining power, they're upset. Now, let me show you something How did they find out about it? How did the disciples find out about it? Because the hypocrites were what? Talking. It says, Jesus, have you heard? We've heard about these guys. They're all upset. (laughs) I love this. Gossip happens even in churches, doesn't it? Where people just want to share and they get offended and they get upset and they begin to share. Jesus, I, I can't believe they're offended. They're offended. What's going to happen? Jesus, you know, if they're offended and they stop and they take their ball and go home, (gasps) religion might fall apart. Oh no, it might crumble if they go home and they don't continue working. And this happens quite often. We get frustrated, we get upset and people get offended because we're not doing church the way we're supposed to do according to tradition. And watch, they get mad and they start telling everybody. And here's what they start telling them. I can't believe they wouldn't do it that way. You know, they didn't listen to me. They didn't change the way they ministered. And they start griping and complaining. Then they tell you this. They really should listen to me. They really should listen to me. And here's why you need to listen to me. Because look how many years I've given to this church. Look how many years I've served. Look at all the things that I do for the church. And that's exactly what's going on here. The Pharisees are upset. Now watch. And Jesus continues and Jesus says this. Here's his reply. Every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, then both will fall apart. Did you notice that the hypocrites not only had power and leadership in the church, but they also had following. They had influence and people were following. Let me make sure we understand this. Just because people listen to you and just because somebody is following you doesn't mean that you're right. 
It doesn't mean that you're right. You could simply be a blind person leading the blind and the end of a hypocrite is hypocrisy and it goes even to the very depths of you're gonna fall in the pit, you will be destroyed. Here's Here's why this is important. Because I could fool you and I could fool you and I could fool everyone else around. You could be fooling me and you could be fooling everyone else around. But at the end of the day, it doesn't mean that, hey, I'm good because I have so many people following me. My end or your end as a hypocrite, the end is this. God knows your heart. It will eventually come out and you will end in destruction. Do you see it? It's going to happen. So as long as you want to play the game, you play the game. But the end is certain. And then here's what happens. Look what it says. But Peter said, hey, Jesus, explain that parable that you set up in verse 10. I love this. Peter interrupts and he, he kind of missed the middle dialogue. He missed the whole thing because he's still sitting back going, whoa, Jesus, that was a crazy parable you just said. You're talking about food going into somebody's stomach and then going out. So Peter got stuck on the body and eating food and getting rid of the food. And he got stuck there. He couldn't actually get past this. And he said, okay, Jesus, I missed something. Help me out. Jesus, why did you say that? Have you ever had somebody like that? I'm talking to my kids. I have four kids and we're talking and we'll sit there. And the next thing you know, my son will say, hey, dad, who won the game last night? The game last night? We weren't even talking about the game. They just automatically, their brain goes somewhere else. And that's exactly what Peter does here. His brain goes back. He says, I I misunderstood something. So Jesus says, okay, let me explain it. Peter, really? Are you not with me? You don't understand? Look at verse 17. Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes through the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds out of the heart. And this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unclean hands or without going through a ceremony of tradition, that doesn't defile anyone. So here's your last point. The last point is this. God's more concerned about your pure heart than he is about your busyness. Your first priority, my first priority in ministry is what? To maintain a pure heart. It's not about anything else. It's about this. If you are anywhere, a child of God, your first priority is not trying to impress everybody, but your first priority is to have a pure heart before God. Does that mean? I love this. He says, hey, don't go out and try to impress people with all your religious activities because that's not what's gonna save you. All the religious activities won't save you, but having a pure heart will. You look at your heart. How do you get a clean heart? Is it by more religious activities? No, it starts first of all by trusting Jesus as your personal savior. When you trust Jesus as your personal savior, your heart is cleaned and then you become pure. He gives you a new heart, a heart that actually can trust him, a heart that actually has pure thoughts. He gives you a clean heart. And then you move into this next realm of constantly keeping it pure and clean. When you sin, you ask for forgiveness. He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's a beautiful passage. It's constantly coming back and constantly coming back. This is what keeps us pure. Here's why this is such a hard tension. You ready? Peter is the one who's being talked to here. 
Did Peter get it immediately? The answer is no. You go into Acts chapter 10. Here's what you'll find. Acts chapter 10, Peter will not interact with Gentiles. Jesus has already died. The crucifixion has already happened. The resurrection has already happened. And in Acts chapter 10, what you find is this. You find that Peter is unwilling to leave the Jews to go to the Gentiles. And he says, I will not go to them because they're unclean. And so in the middle of the night, he has this vision. And there's this blanket that comes down and a picnic is spread. And there's pork and there's bacon and oh, all kinds of great stuff. And he looks at it and he says, I can't eat it. The bacon smells fantastic, God, but I can't do it. It's unclean. And God tells him what? Peter, don't call unclean what I've called clean. He wakes up and he says, man, that's a strange dream. Knock on the door. He opens it up. There are Gentiles standing at his door. Yes, can I help you? God told us in a vision to come get you because you're gonna share the gospel with us. Gentiles, oh no. So he leaves and he leaves and he goes with them and he comes into the Roman centurion's house. And the Roman centurion, the Bible tells us that he's a God-fearing man who prays. He's seeking after God, but he doesn't fully understand how to be saved. And what happens? Peter shares the gospel. He's saved and the entire household is saved. Peter gets an illness. Ah, it's not about my tradition. It's more about my heart. It's more about serving and doing what God's asked me to do. Fast forward a couple decades, you ready? Go all the way to Galatians chapter two. Galatians chapter two, Peter is now getting to the end of his life, end of his ministry, and there's a struggle that goes on. And here's the struggle, you ready? Peter is now eating food with Gentiles. It's pretty exciting. He's made a transition, right? And you're kind of championing Peter. Way to go, you're doing a great job. He's eating, and then the next thing you know, there are Jews who come in. These are the traditional Jews. And soon as they come in, Peter gets up and he leaves the Gentiles because he doesn't want to be seen eating with them. And he comes over and now he's eating only with the Jews. Paul confronts him on it and says, what are you doing? And the reason I tell you this story is this. I want you to see that tradition is a tension you're going to have to battle back and forth. There's a tension in your soul. You're gonna say you want it this way. No, you want it this way. And there's this tension. There's a tension to say, we have to have church this way. We have to have church this way. And there's gonna be this tension. And here's my, the bottom line point, you ready? It's more about your heart's purity than it is about any other religious activity you wanna do. I want to be a pastor who is pure of heart. Because I it's, it's, it's really, it's, it's easy to impress from a distance. But I don't want your praise. I want God's praise. And here's what I want for you as leaders. If you're in leadership, here's what I want for you. You ready? I don't want you to be about political power and how many people can follow you. I want you to be pure of heart and I want that to be your priority. If you're leading a Sunday school class, if you're leading a, 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 a maybe you're, you're, you're a door greeter, here's what, I, here's what I pray for us as a church. Whatever we decide to serve and however we get involved in ministry, what I want more than anything else is that I want us to be a pure people. A people who say our heart's passion is first and foremost to go after God and his glory. I don't care how beautiful a voice you, see, you have when you get up here. 
If your heart's not pure, we've missed it. And as a church, you want to see God do something amazing in our lives? Then we need people who are first and foremost, not about the show, not about the game, but our pure hearts. Samuel comes to Jesse. He's about to anoint a king. He comes to Jesse's household. And the first thing that happens is the son, the oldest son comes out and he comes out. And when he comes out, Samuel goes, ah, look at him. He's got the stature. He looks like a king. He looks handsome. He's strong. He's tall. He's the one. And God speaks directly into Samuel's life. You remember this? He says, people look on the outward, but God looks on the heart. You can fool everyone else, but God sees your heart today. If it's not right with him, the invitation is simply come to Jesus, ask for his forgiveness, leave it at the cross, accept God's gift of salvation for you, and you rise from that point and you say, I am a new creature created in Christ Jesus. What an amazing gift. And you walk off and now you have this new heart. If you've trusted Jesus as your personal savior, church, the hardest work that you'll ever be about is going after a pure heart and maintaining it because your heart always wants to run away. Pursue it with the greatest passion of your life. And what you'll find is this, Jesus will satisfy. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, we